RX. This is Studio 360. I'm Kurt Anderson. On today's podcast, I have a conversation with the great Chinese filmmaker Jia Zhengke. He is, at 48, one of the most celebrated Chinese directors today. Even though, for a lot of his career, his movies couldn't be shown in his country. Films like Platform and Still Life and The World, austere, subtle, realistic depictions of the lives of working people that were discovered and cultivated by movie cognoscenti all over the world. This year's Carostor is given to Jason Ke, who is really the artist who knows how to depict the very details of the crisis of the era that we go through, and we want to thank him for his unequalable work. At the start of his new movie, Ash is Purest White, this woman and man raise a toast saluting their brotherhood which is this organization of small-time gangsters in provincial China in the early aughts. The movie's Chinese title, literally translated, is something like Sons and Daughter of the Jianghu. That word, Jianghu, is hard to translate and can mean a lot of different things. But one of its meanings refer to these gangster brotherhoods that have developed over the last few decades in the new capitalist China. That is the narrow sense of an understanding of this concept of Jianghu, so-called underworld. Jia Zhengke recently stopped by Studio 360 along with a translator. People bound together because of the, the crisis that they face or the dramatic transformation of society. They have their code of honors and code of behaviors and uh, the way that they connect with one another to somehow protect one another. Whereas in the Chinese culture, we also can understand it in a broad sense. And you can talk about anyone who is actually drifting around, just trying to seek out opportunities to survive. And we also can understand them as people of Jianghu or children of Jianghu as well. Working class people in China struggling to get by. Those sorts of characters are the subject of pretty much all of Jaws films. Ash is Purest White seems at first like it'll be a conventional gangster movie. But then it turns out to be both more expansive and more intimate than that. It stays focused on its two central characters over 17 years, particularly on the woman played by the excellent Zhao Tao. We see her character go from being the girlfriend of a gangster on the rise to hardened prisoner to social outcast to, I'm not going to spoil it, the film starts in 2001, which was a critical moment in the development of these Jianghu underworld societies. That's the year that China joined the World Trade Organization. 2001 is a very, very important turning point in the Chinese history because if you look at what happened before 2001, very much followed the planned economy and then suddenly changed to the market economy. And economists say the integration of China into the global trade network will speed up the economic reforms which have helped transform it into a world power. 
And because of that change and also the economic growth and rapid growth, soon after you do see that uh, certain destruction and changes and evolutions of the many systems that used to be in place, such as the unit system that people will have a place to work, and suddenly uh, they no longer. Are needed, and they somehow been laid off by the factories, and then you will have a people out of job. These are the people bound together because of the human connections among them, whether or not because they are from the same neighborhood, from the same factory, whether or not they are from the same block, and they just naturally uh, somehow got together and trying to protect uh, each other, pr- protect one right. another, forming this Jianghu Brotherhood. Right, and that makes sense. So it was a kind of collateral effect of the free market because of when they emerged. They were shaped by the violence of the Cultural Revolution period in the 1970s and by watching the Hong Kong gangster movies by John Woo and other people. There's a gap in terms of the previous crime organizations ended in 1949 till the end of the 80s and 90s. The only way they can learn from uh, somehow draw inspiration of what does it mean to have this kind of brotherhood is from watching those uh, Jiang Wu's films like The Killer or uh-huh. other films from Hong Kong. Because at the time, the most popular genre of films within the, the video arcade, most of the youth would hang out watching these films. And from these films that they learn what does it mean to be in Jianghu, what does it mean to form that kind of human relationship, that kind of brotherhood. We've had this very phenomenon uh, in the United States as well, real-life mobsters who, who model themselves on The Godfather and The Sopranos. But uh, this genre in China and Hong Kong, Zhenghu movies, are they comparable to The Godfather or Goodfellas or whatever? Uh, so definitely that they share something in common, but they are very, very, they're categorically different. I can mm. even say that just because there are people actually living by this type of code of conduct, code of honors in real life right now in China. And those are the people I want to really capture with this particular film is that they are living among us. This is not something fictional from novels and from the Wuxia films that you watch on the big screen. Like a lot of your movies, Ashes Purest White stars your wife, Zhao Tao, and her performance is magnificent in this film. We see her transform from the turn of the century to now as the country itself is transforming pretty radically. Here's a clip of her confronting a character who has uh, stolen from her. didn't actually intentionally trying to create a powerful female character for this particular film. At first, actually, she is if using the Americans' understanding of that would be a gangster's mall mm-hmm. and sort of this psychic character. Mm-hmm. But as I was developing the script, I realized that I need to create two characters that they are moving towards 
two opposite directions. I really want to showcase what's been gained and what's been lost in these 17 years amidst these dramatic transformations of the society. And on the one hand, you have the male character going for money, going for power, going for fame, and really not taking care of human connections, the bond that he used to have with the people around him. On the other hand, you have the female character. You see that she ends up to be the only person who is actually growing stronger with her conviction about this kind of code of honor, mm-hmm. code of conduct within the Jianghu context. Um, one of your your early kind of movie favorites was, surprising to me, a movie called Breakin', <laughs> set in the early L.A. Uh, hip-hop scene. How did you come across that, and why was that so appealing to the... 14-year-old。呃,這個電影可能是84年拍的,但是在中國放映應該是I think it was shot in 1984, but it didn't make its way to China until 1987 or 88. And at the time I was in junior high, and I think that was the first time actually I get to experience this kind of dance called breakdancing. Oh, wow. And I I was very touched and moved by what I see in terms of the, the dance moves, but also the rhythms and the beats of this particular subculture. We have a few friends that we watch this film seven times, and each one will memorize certain part of a choreography, mm-hmm. and then we will teach each other the parts that we remember. And based on this particular film and the, our memories of the movements and the dance moves, we actually form a breakdancing group touring around the city. And I remember our group is called Pests. Pests? Pests. <laughs> and speaking of break-in, we'll get back to my conversation with Zha Zhengke after a short break. But first, I wanted to take this opportunity to remind you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Studio 360 Show. And now, back to my conversation with the film director, Zha Zhangko. So, in addition to Breakin', um, you've given us a list of other films from the last, I don't know, 70 or 80 years that have inspired you. And, and first on that list is the famous Vittorio De Sica film Bicycle Thieves uh, from 1948, one of the Italian neorealist films about a working-class guy whose bike is stolen, and he and his young son then go around Rome trying to track down the thief. Tell me about when you first uh, saw uh, Bicycle Thieves and, and why it made such a big impression. So this film actually was released in China. My mom took me to see this film in cinema. When I think about this film, I always go back to the scene when the father and son, they are looking for the bicycles. Then uh, suddenly there was a rain and they were hiding from the rains uh, under the roof and just watching the world passing them by. And I, I think that really made a huge impression on me is that even though that your life may be difficult because of poverty, because of the socioeconomic class that you were born in, there, there's still tender moments 
or poetic moments in your life that you can still cherish and enjoy. Doesn't matter how poor you are. Even though this is an Italian film made 40 years earlier, but I can relate to the characters and the, a lot of situations and been depicted in this particular film just because I live that type of impoverished uh, life and th- this sense of poverty. It's very much my experience as well growing up. The people that I'm most familiar with are these people who are on the margin of societies, living in impoverished conditions and area. Another of your favorite films is also from 1948, Spring in a Small Town, uh, directed by the Chinese director Fei Mu. Uh, came out the year before the revolution succeeded. It's about a love triangle, a woman, her husband, her husband's old friend. Do you have a... Favorite scene in in spring in a small town. Memorable scenes from this particular film definitely will be when the female lead knock on the door of the male lead because they used to be lovers. And then they have to somehow contain their emotions and their desires. He has this ability to really tease out and depict that kind of hidden emotions and desires that a lot of Chinese people have but cannot express because of whatever Confucianist traditional rules and traditions that somehow been so oppressive for them to express those feelings freely. So I think that is one of many reasons why I uh, really admire him as a filmmaker. Um, another film on your favorites is the great film by Robert Bresson, the French director, 1956, um, A Man Escaped, which is set in World War II, and it's a French resistance fighter in the Vichy Nazi prison. Pour obtenir une cuillère en fer, l'étain et l'aluminium étant trop mou ou trop cassant, j'ai dû attendre plusieurs distributions de soupe. Was there, was there either thematically or stylistically something about Bresson's film um, that has influenced films of yours? One particular scene that's memorable for me and also very influential to my filmmaking is the scenes that uh, just sort of scraping the spoons repeatedly. And I thought that, well, maybe they're using this as a weapon. But in fact, it's just something you do when you try to kill time, and uh, it doesn't serve any quote-unquote functional purposes. So to me, that is something I do and practice in my own filmmaking, is to not think about every single shot has to serve certain purpose, that there are times that we need to have this type of uh, shots that they are there just because that just how people live their lives and certain details that uh, might not serve any effective purposes right. uh, in terms of the plot lines, right. but they are there just to give authenticity to the characters that you are portraying. The last of your favorite films is Ozu's Tokyo Story from 1953, which is about this elderly couple not long after the war who visit Tokyo to visit their adult children who are just too busy with life to deal with the old folks. Is there one scene in, in Tokyo Story that has stayed with you? 
Ozu films, Tokyo Stories, definitely one scene comes to mind will be the husband and wives sitting down by the roadside looking at this landscape of Tokyo City with chimneys and towers and using them as a way to talk about how in terms of modernization or the, the growth of the economy somehow change familial relationship and structure. Now, so yes, I definitely uh, draw inspirations from yeah. Ozu's film. Your films are often, uh, including Ash's uh, *Purest White*, often not entirely positive depictions of Chinese society. Um, and I want to ask about. Um, your relationship over the years with the film authorities and the government. Um, you made your first film in 1995. Then a few years later, they said, oh, no, no more films. But you kept making films during that period where they said you couldn't. Uh, how, how did you manage that? That's the only way you can really push the boundaries and expand the horizon is to keep on trying. It's not until the fourth film that I made that um, it was allowed to be shown in China in theater. So I do think that uh, this is what we need to do as filmmakers is to always be truth to your voice and make sure that you are not being silent by anyone and continue to be the advocate of your vision and your voice that to be heard by the rest of the world. But uh, as a director, I do think that the process of censorship and approval is very tiring, very time-consuming, be that as may. To me, it is still important not only for the people outside of China to be able to see a film about China. It's even more important for Chinese people to have the opportunity to watch a film by a Chinese filmmaker making films about China. Jia Zhenke, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here and talking. Uh, thank you. Ash is Purest White is in theaters now. Vincent Cheng was our interpreter today. And one final thing before we go. If you like listening to this podcast as much as we like making it, let other people know by rating us on iTunes. Not so much to flatter us. It really helps other listeners discover Studio 360. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 at iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. 